Radio Season 2. Good evening, curious minds out there across the internet, and welcome to the official first episode of Behind the Radio for Season 2, Episode 1 of the podcast. If you haven't heard that episode yet, by the way, as always, I would recommend that you go ahead and start off right there, and then come back and join us for some more behind-the-scenes info, news, everything you come to expect, and yes, that means I am back with you for your bi-weekly dose of info, and I am so very glad that you guys decided to come back and join me this season and for joining me this evening i've got some pretty crazy stories to share with you all of them a little crazy in their own right Uh, i've got some information pertaining to the last episode that being the pact souls for gold the dark side of the spotlight that we debuted last week on the main podcast um I wanted to first jump off and and kind of start back with some more info as far as where the episode itself actually started, which was on uh, Johann Faust. And I did briefly touch on some information about the real Johann Faust, but not really. I kind of mostly just covered uh, from a literary perspective who Faust was, but he was apparently this extremely uh, wild character and widely known across Europe at the time. Um, particularly Germany in that area, but he was supposedly like a real-life mystic and this uh, magician guy claiming to be an alchemist as well, but essentially he just kind of traveled around Europe and he would tell people their horoscopes and read fortunes and perform magic tricks and just a wild dude. Um, A lot of people really knew about him. He was, a lot of people thought that he was evil which is kind of where the whole devil deal came into being as far as the like narrative and the story goes but he was um in his own words he claimed to be able to perform the miracles of christ any of the miracles of christ he said that he could perform them which who knows the validity to that there's no accounts of him actually doing any of that but he apparently traveled with a dog and a horse okay and the dog would shapeshift on command into a servant this is from accounts at the time i mean i don't know i wasn't there this was a long time ago and people were very superstitious so who knows how much validity there is to all that but wild stories surrounded this guy he's actually got like multiple grimoires uh, attributed to him which are you know like little books of spells or whatever compiled um and he was frequently thought to have been in league with the devil so that's kind of where that whole legend took off and then it was expanded upon in various literary works but i just thought i'd give you guys some little bit more information because i kind of realized when i went back through the episode that uh i kind of glossed over who the hell faust really was and so i thought some of you might enjoy knowing a little bit more about where that story actually comes from another piece of kind of interesting information that i didn't really have a chance to cover in the episode it didn't really fully go with the narrative that i was intending to tell during the main episode but 
that's surrounding like the the dark and demonic kind of rituals that seem to be apparently or alleged to be i guess would be a better way to say uh happening at some of these concerts i'm sure you guys probably remember the travis scott astro world uh kerfuffle where uh, a crowd surge uh, it injured a lot of people i'm pretty sure it killed at least like 10 people um it was a terrible terrible thing but a lot of the concert goers that were there uh, either on their instagram or tiktoks or, or various you know interviews or whatever um they all spoke about what a dark and, and demonic seeming kind of environment it was and that it felt to them uh, a lot of people said this that it felt to them like it was some kind of ritual and the beginning of his performance um, began with sort of like a big portal being opened basically and he even had a shirt on which was made specifically for that Astro World show uh, that depicted someone going through a portal and coming out a different way. I think, uh, I don't remember if they went in blue and came out red or what it was, but uh, it's easy to find pictures of. But there was a lot of weird stuff around that. Uh, a lot of footage came out that kind of uh, showed the, the vibe that was going on there and kind of how dark that vibe was. It didn't really seem like what you'd expect from just a, a typical hip-hop show or a concert of some sort it seemed to kind of go a little bit beyond that especially to have so many people talking about it being dark and demonic it, it just kind of stands out as being a, a strange happening and i think he's pretty much dodged all ramifications from that i mean his career took a little bit of a hit but uh, no legal ramifications there was a lot of violations that were going on there. There was way too many people at that concert to start with. Crowd uh, control was terrible and the entire thing, um, as it frequently is at those shows. But this one went to a whole new level. Another thing I want to talk about um, in this vein is I, I talked about Lil Uzi Vert a little bit. Um, but he has, at, at multiple shows kind of fostered that exact same dark demonic kind of uh vibe and you know maybe that just fits with kind of his uh persona or whatever but a lot of people have reported you know after leaving or leaving early even because they just felt that it was a, a demonic experience and they didn't want to be there anymore and not really what they thought they were getting into going to listen to his music the other concert related thing that i wanted to talk about was and a lot of you have probably seen the footage of it. It's extremely weird. I, I do not have a rational explanation for it. But Lana Del Rey did a concert uh, in South America, I believe. Uh, you have to forgive me. I'm shooting from the hip with all this stuff. Um, but she was performing. And this was kind of uh, towards the beginning of her performance, I, I believe. And they were doing this kind of weird dance thing and, and she was writhing around on the stage and all of a sudden and it kind of started at like one side and then just like a wave went through the crowd and people were knocked off their feet and this isn't like a you know a crowd surfing or a, a crowd surge or a mosh pit kind of thing you know I've, I've been to crazy concerts i've never seen anything remotely like this happen um you really need to go find the footage if you can i'll try to post a link to it in case you haven't or can't find it or whatever i'll try and post a link to it in the announcement for this episode on the facebook page watch that 
Tell me what you think, because I, I cannot explain it. The way that those people moved, and in such a synchronized way. I mean, if, if, if people started falling, they're not going to all cascade like that, like dominoes in the way that they did in that show. I mean, it literally looks like a wave of energy just blows through the crowd. A lot of crazy stuff going on with these shows. The music industry just seems progressively more and more dark and demonic. At least me, I don't know how you guys feel about it, but I see a lot more of it. And that kind of leads into one thing that I wanted to cover here. And this isn't like part of the news. I've got three really good stories for you guys that I'm going to talk about here shortly. This is just uh, a little bit more information about one thing that I briefly mentioned in the episode and I wish I had kind of had more time to discuss it more thoroughly, but I also kind of wanted to save like any kind of in-depth explanation for this because that's pretty much what this is for. So I briefly touched on something in the main regarding the death clause or how labels hold um, essentially a life insurance policy on their artists. A thing that most people are probably totally unaware of, but uh, and for good reason. The music industry would definitely prefer that you have no idea about it. The actual contract lingo and justification for it, it's under like the non-performance clause, which is kind of a whole other thing in some rights, but this definitely falls under that section. And I'll give you like a little sample of, of what that sounds like in the actual contract language here in just a second, but Essentially, the non-performance clause just ensures that the label is able to continue to profit off of the artist like long after their death uh, or any kind of grave injury or a condition that would basically prevent them from doing a performance and making music and making the label more money. And they do so by collecting all the royalties until at least all the debts to the label. And those add up very, very quick. Um, Artists get charged for everything that they do while working for a label. They end up paying, owing the label for, for doing shows, for their lodging, for anything that you can imagine. Studio time, I mean, there's tons of ways that these labels factor in charges that they're owed. As well as the loss of any anticipated income. I mean, considering the music industry has been shown, like there's actual studies on this stuff to take 25 years on average off of the lives of musicians they want to make sure that they get paid regardless um, clearly there's a chance that you're going to croak early in that industry factor in they also carry a life insurance policy like actual policies in a lot of cases multiple policies on the artist as well as the fact that an artist's music is always worth more to the labels after their death and it kind of starts to paint a grim picture, to say the least. This is particularly true of artists whose popularity has like already peaked. Like they feel like they, they kind of hit their prime and, and they're not making as much money now. They're not as visible. And also in this clause is that once an artist passes, all rights revert back to the label. And that allows them to push it however they like and essentially pimp out the artist and their likeness and whatever they want. Uh, for pure profit without having to pay the artist because they're dead and they have ways of not giving anything to the estates either not to mention in current times with the speed of the news cycle 
um, people across social media always posting like memorials and tributes and all that stuff posting their favorite songs by the dead artist all that drives up streams and it drives up sales through the roofs and those sales tend to remain like much higher than their pre-death numbers for years to come so it becomes like a giant crash cash grab and i'm talking about numbers like up to multi hundreds to thousands of times higher so the actual contract language for those curious tends to go something like this and this i had to write down so bear with me whereas the word company means insert label name here one companies shall have the right to secure insurance equivalent to 10 times the estimated value of artist earnings from any source of income for the company's sole benefit. Two, companies shall be allowed to employ any insurance carrier or combination of to assure this benefit and need not consult or require signature compliance from the artist. Three, companies shall keep such information confidential except that company may disclose such information to the applicable insurance carrier or carriers or as regulated by law. 4. Artists or artist estate shall have no, all caps, no right to review or claim the benefit of any such policy obtained by the company. So, with all that in mind, it's easy to see why we lose stars so young, so often, and how, in a way, they all sort of signed to deal with the devil for their souls. I just thought some of you guys might find that interesting. And with all that being said, um, that's pretty much all I'm going to touch on from the actual episode. Um, there's some other things, uh, more about Kurt Cobain's death, of course, and uh, just a few other little areas in there that I, I don't really have time to get into now because, uh, as I kind of mentioned in the podcast, they honestly do deserve like a full episode. So that's something I'm going to leave the door open for if you guys want it, and uh, we'll consider circling back to all that later. But... For the time being, I'm going to go ahead and switch over to giving you guys the news. And I've got three really good stories I think you're going to enjoy. The first two kind of relate tangentially. From there, um, we've got a wild one to finish up with. So buckle up, guys. First story this evening is in regards to the situation in the Middle East that is continuing to heat up. Uh, as I'm sure that you guys are aware, the U.S. operates bases all around the globe and has several major bases in the Middle East, and that's including Qatar, Bahrain, Kuwait, Saudi Arabia, and the United Arab Emirates, as well as like several more smaller ones sprinkled across the region, here, there, and everywhere. Look at a map of it, it's kind of mind-boggling. There's also Tower 22, which is a base that's located in Jordan at the country's most northeast point, where it borders with Syria and Iraq. On January 28th, that's the base that was allegedly hit with a drone strike that killed three Army Reserve soldiers. Washington blamed uh, the attack on the Iran-backed Iraqi militia Hezbollah, which, no surprise there, those familiar with my old work might remember that when I left the service um, a few months before 9-11, I had made the statement 
to pretty much anyone that would listen to me at the time that an event was going to happen. I didn't know what. I figured we'd just be going to war over something somewhere else. I mean, I certainly didn't anticipate what happened on 9-11, but that whatever happened would be used as a pretext to enter the Middle East, taking down Iraq, Afghanistan, uh, Syria, who knows along the way, but that it would eventually end up with Iran. Been talking about being the uh, long-term goal for our military in the Middle East for years now, and although it took forever, seemingly, um, it seems like that day is close at hand. And this comes at a crucial time now where they are firmly aligned with both Russia and China, two other countries that the U.S. has seemed recently hell-bent on stirring conflict with. Throw into the mix her rising ally in North Korea, and you have the makings of a very volatile conflict with nearly certain some sort of nuclear ramifications. This is also reminiscent of a warning that I gave last season pertaining to BRICS, which I said to keep an eye out for upcoming conflict with countries within BRICS as they were beginning to pose an ever-increasing threat to U.S. global hegemony and the unipolar order that it's enjoyed for all these years. Also in this mix recently is the Houthis group, um, which sounds like a really bad band, but they're aligned with Yemen as well as Iran, who have drastically changed the proverbial game by blocking the sea route to Israel. In response, Biden has launched, mind you, without congressional appeal or oversight, airstrikes into Yemen, as well as positioned 69 warships in the region. Side note, he chose that number to indicate that we are deathly serious, but also up for a good time. And a little funny aside here, um, when I was, the first time I tried recording this whole line, I got to the, uh, that part and I said 69 warships, which are also very dangerous and absolutely hilarious. So I had to stop for just a second and uh, collect myself before I could actually finish the rest of that story. I just, I just wanted to let you guys know. That's a little behind the scenes knowledge there. Warships. And I truly hope that they catch on. Our next story is one I've been indicating my thoughts on here and there since last October, but I have some new details to share with you guys tonight. In a move that's a bit too reminiscent of 9-11, the official story regarding the attacks on Israel by Hamas on October the 7th was uh, that it was a complete surprise, right? And somehow caught the most sophisticated intelligence apparatus in the world and their allies just totally off guard with their pants down. While I have vocally doubted this was the case, and almost the almost immediate comparisons to 9-11 really only helped to further that thought in my mind, I recently found something that does truly make it a lot like 9-11 actually. Right before the attack, short interest, or bets on a stock would fail, kind of like a put option, like what we saw, on 9-11 on the airlines in the MSCI Israeli exchange traded fund ETF quote suddenly and significantly spiked directly before the attack like hours before the attack short selling of Israel securities on the Tel Aviv stock exchange increased dramatically 
There are long-standing precedents for how such stocks behave in response to military conflict. So clearly, it was well known that Israel was about to be at war. Five days prior to the attack is when this all started. And nearly 100%, okay? Nearly 100% of the off-exchange trading volume in the MSCI Israeli ETF on October 2nd consisted of short selling and increased dramatically in volume just hours before the attack took place. Numbers that significantly exceed any other time in its history, and that's including the 2014 Israel-Hamas war and the COVID-19 scandemic. And this isn't just me coming up with this and, and saying this stuff. This is all based on research and work that was conducted by Robert J. Jackson Jr. and Joshua Mitz at Columbia Law School. Uh, due to the nature of how markets function, it's of course kind of difficult to identify at this point who those uh, informed traders were. And that's information that may remain unknown unless we get law enforcement or someone else to kind of further those investigations and expose who those private traders and companies were. If you guys are interested in finding out more about this, um, you can read their full report that they did. They, they put out a full report on the uh, Columbia Law School website. But it's uh, I'm going to leave a link to that, actually. I'm going to leave a link to that in our Facebook page uh, on the post announcing this show. So if you guys want to go check that out, you can actually read the entire thing. It's very lengthy, but it's got a ton of data to support what, the, what I'm saying here and what they're saying. Like, it's very clear. Uh, they've, they've got everything charted out for you. So if you're a numbers person, you can dig in deep and really enjoy that. Uh, I'm not, but I thought it was definitely worth taking a look at. It's pretty interesting stuff either way. But uh, I don't know. What do you guys think about that? Hit me up in the Q&A. Um, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it, seriously. Because this story has been such a big deal and has kind of put so many things into motion so many very dangerous things if i'm being honest into motion and furthered our little uh, sort of secret agenda to go after iran so uh, i feel that it's crucial that we look at all the details um, this has cost the lives of thousands upon thousands of palestinians all in the name of stamping out hamas as if every Palestinian is somehow Hamas, which is absolutely absurd. Um, yeah, before I go too far <laughs> into my thoughts on all of this uh, and get in trouble, I just, uh, yeah, I encourage you to take a look at it. Okay, again, I'm going to post that on the Facebook page. Look for the post that's talking about this episode and take a little look for yourself. Tell me what you guys think. And that brings us to our final story of the evening. Uh, go ahead and buckle up, kids. Get your tinfoil hats on. Pull them down real, real tight. You might even want to pull them over your eyes tonight. This is a wild one. I'm not even kidding. Uh, it's something that I heard about a while back, but more information has continued to come out about it, and I felt that it warranted at least a little bit of discussion on this show. So... Terrified villagers of the Peruvian Iquitu tribe. I believe I'm saying that right. I think I got it. And if I didn't, let me know. I'm sure somebody will. 
have been claiming, and this goes back to, like I said, last summer, um, July 11th, I think it was like the first thing that was reported about it, that they have been under attack by, quote, seven foot tall aliens with the ability to levitate and kind of soar through the air. The villagers have been patrolling nightly, like they are taking this deathly serious, okay? This is not like just a funny story to them. This is life or death to these people and they are extremely serious and they're trying to protect the women and children who are alleged to be like the most frequent targets of whatever the hell these things are and villagers have reported that they have been shooting these beings but that whatever armor they have on uh, it, it seems to be completely unaffected by their bullets several villagers have reportedly been attacked including a young teenage girl and that was the one that really sparked it all off. And they thought that she had been abducted by, uh, you know, another group or whatever they didn't know. So they went off in the jungle to try and find her and get her back. She had managed to escape from whatever the hell these things are. And uh, they met her and they also saw these things. This was their first encounter with them. And since then, several of them have been attacked and almost carried off. However, several villagers were able to fend off these things before anybody's actually been taken except for that first girl. As far as I could find, she's the only one that has, like, act, they actually succeeded in carrying off because they weren't aware of any of this at that time. She probably just wandered too far from the village and got snatched up. And they were able to stop the most recent time that someone was uh, attempted to be abducted or whatever because they... They rushed them or whatever. They, they managed to kind of get the person free. And then they shot at it several times. But the person that, that did the shooting, he's been interviewed and quoted as saying that he shot it. But it didn't fall over. It didn't seem to even affect it. And then they watched it levitate and vanish. That's a quote. Levitate and vanish. Apparently, these seven-foot beings are wearing some sort of silver armor that the villagers have likened to resembling that of the Green Goblin in Spider-Man and saying that they have large heads with yellowish eyes and these spherical boots. And that's what's enabling them to levitate and fly little distances or whatever. The villagers have reached out. This is how serious they're taking it. The villagers have reached out to the Peruvian military for help, leading to government authorities conducting visits and investigating the area. The investigators, with no known evidence to support their theory, for the record, attributed to, quote, illegal gold miners wearing costumes and jetpacks, <laughs> which even to the most ardent debunker out there, the thought of gold-fevered miners hopped up on Peruvian cocaine floating around the dense Peruvian jungles with noisy-ass jetpacks has got to be a bit of a stretch for what they're seeing. I'm not saying I know what it is, but I'm pretty confident in saying I don't think that that's what it is. The authorities came up with this excuse due to the very real history of drug cartels and illegal miners using various intimidation tactics and scare tactics to try to frighten these villagers and ethnic groups off of protected lands in order to gain access to the profitable, some of it highly profitable, in the form of coca leaves and such, uh, natural resources. 
And I have to also mention that this story also intermingles with a strange bit of living history in the area of cryptids called face peelers. And I'm going to tell you a little bit, if you have a sensitive stomach, I'm going to skip this part. Uh, We won't be on it long. But these are like hooded figures who lurk in the jungles and they'll abduct the villagers only for them to be found later deceased and with the flesh from their faces completely removed. If you ask me though, that is the part that sounds a little bit more like cartels or maybe illegal miners, uh, something that they would maybe employ, or something that you'd hear about the elite doing to harvest adrenochrome. Just kidding. Mostly. What it calls to mind for me though, in all seriousness, and this also aligns um, with the one source that I was able to reach out and connect with from the area and spoke to very briefly recently. But that's the history of military abductions of people that are made to look like alien abductions. Um, And that stuff's been reported for many, many years. Where they'll use like advanced tech and mind control techniques or whatever to kind of cause the abductee's experience to seem super vividly real and outer-worldly as possible. I mean, so is it too far-fetched to wonder if this couldn't be just another, like, uh, strand in the broader, highly sophisticated, fake alien psychological operation kind of thing? Is our collective conscious just being primed for some Project Blue Beam-style fake alien invasion event? Add to this the recent whistleblower testimony on UFOs, Pentagon denials, and the seemingly ever-increasing number of sightings and strange events that we've been seeing, and also the presence of, most recently, of U.S. military, particularly the Space Force, which I still struggle to say without laughing, and I probably always will, joining with the Peruvian, Ecuadorian, and Colombian governments in a joint exercise called Operation Resolute Sentinel. And we'll talk more about that at another time. I don't want to go into all that right now, but the possibility really doesn't seem all that out there anymore. One thing is for sure, this has already been an extremely strange year, guys. And at this point, I certainly wouldn't say that anything is out of the question. Whatever's going on, I assure you, I'll be following it closely, and I'll be reporting whatever I uncover. So stay tuned. And that, ladies and gentlemen, wraps up all the news that I've got for you for this evening. I really hope that you guys um, found that stuff interesting. Uh, and those are just the stories that kind of stood out to me and since our last BTR episode anyway. So I wanted to kind of share them with you and hopefully be able to get your thoughts on it. Uh, you know how to do that. We've got a Q&A right there. It's always open for anything that you want to say. We've got the voicemails if you're on Spotify. Open up the actual description of the episode, scroll down a little bit, and you'll see leave a voice message. I'll check every one of those I got. I would love to, with your permission, uh, be sure to let me know if I could use it or not. If it's private, let me know. Kind of compile a bunch of those and cover them all on their own in, in another BTR. But I just want to know what you guys think. You know, it's very important to me. I promise that it is. I don't just say this every week to get some kind of interaction. None of that counts towards anything. Um, I, I just legitimately would like to know your thoughts on things. And I hope that you enjoyed the main episode. I will be back with you next week for another great episode. Uh, I kind of thought about giving you a bit of a sneak peek 
here, but I'm not going to do it. I'm going to save it. Trust me, it'll be worth it. But I hope everyone out there is doing very well and having a fantastic start to their year. I do sincerely appreciate you guys coming back for this season, and I hope that so far you have enjoyed it. It will continue to get better from here. I can tell you that. I've got a lot of really good stuff planned. So be sure that you are following us uh, on Spotify uh, or wherever you get your podcast. Uh, I believe you can probably follow on any of them. Uh, be sure that you have followed the Facebook page because we post some kind of exclusive stuff there as well as episode announcements. There is a way that you can go into your Spotify settings and enable notifications for all new episodes. I know a lot of people have been missing new episodes. I've had several people tell me. So if you don't want to miss a new episode, go in there and flip that little switchy roo and you'll be notified anytime a new one comes out. And with that, I'm going to head out of here, guys. You guys have a fantastic evening, and I'll talk to you again real soon on the next Clandestine Radio.